Hi, and thank you for listening to Ask the Pastor. This is a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask and receive biblical answers on your questions from our lead pastor, Will Duvall. I'm your host, Thad Yessa, and I'm excited to dive into this week's question. This week's episode is a special recording from a Gospel Coalition's Pastor's Lunch, where our pastor, Will Duvall, asked several other pastors questions about politics in the pulpit. I'm just going to be moderating and asking these guys uh, a few questions about politics in the pulpit. And uh, our plan is after we do uh, just some, some scripted questions to have some time for Q&A for you guys. And then after that, to actually build in some time at the end, you know, for a small group discussion around the tables as well, just to give you that extra opportunity to connect with pastors at your table around important issues. So I'll just start by um, maybe Tom, we'll start with you and work our way down. If you could introduce yourself, church you're at, and why you wanted to be a part of this panel, um, why this topic of politics in the pulpit is particularly relevant for you. Gotcha. Uh, Tom Ricks, Green Tree Community Church, uh, EPC Congregation in Kirkwood. Uh, I was the planting pastor there, uh, started back in 1998, uh, so I've been there a couple years. Um, how long have I been there? Why is this topic important to me? Um, Kirkwood is, uh, like many other municipalities in St. Louis, a uh, community unto itself. Uh, it it you know, you say you're from Kirkwood or from Webster or from Ferguson in St. Louis. You don't typically say you're from St. Louis. And so politics, for me, and for the most part, is very, very local. Uh, I, I don't get really involved at all in state or national politics, but I am, I am very interested and very active uh, in issues that are in our community. And so we have issues of race in Kirkwood that are very important to me. We have educational issues in Kirkwood, which are very important to me. Business development, which is very important to me. Uh, residential questions, which all those, all those questions uh, at some point turn into a political question in our community. And so that's why uh, I don't know that I've actually volunteered for this. I think I said yes when I was called. Uh, yeah, I think I said yes when, I, when, when somebody called me. But on the local level, I, I feel it's very important. And the reason I'm happy to be here today and to talk about it is because we do need to talk about it from a biblical worldview. And we do need to engage in it, not uh, via the party system necessarily, but really uh, individual issue by individual issue. And at a local level, you really get to do that. So that's that's where it really kind of hits my heartbeat. Thank you. Russ? Uh, my name is Russ St. John. I'm the pastor of uh, Twin Oaks PCA in Baldwin. Uh, I think that I agreed to do this because every panel needs a curmudgeon and a contrarian, <laughs> and that will in all likelihood be me, uh, but also because uh, Twin Oaks has a long history of being an intensely political uh, congregation and and at one time had a, a sitting senator and congressman in it and uh, so I inherited a politically charged context and it's uh, I think in some respects sharpened uh, and changed my thinking about the engagement of politics and Christianity. Yeah I thought it was interesting Dan Doriani and I teach at Covenant Seminary but I was also pastor at Central Press for 10-11 years another very political lot of political operatives and a number of uh, elected officials at Central as well. Um, but it's, I thought it was interesting. You looked at me when you said curmudgeon. No, that's me. Now, well, but if you looked at me, so anyway, I teach ethics also, so naturally. Oh, a lot of things, Dan, but I'm not. A no, I know it's between it's, be, it's 
the left wing is the curmudgeon wing today. Anyway, I teach ethics, and so politics comes up. Obviously, uh, you know, justice and mercy comes up all the time. So that's what I'm interested in. All right, my first question for you all uh, today is, we all have congregants who believe politics should never enter the pulpit, but Jesus was political, and failing to speak on the important biblical issues of our day is cowardly. We all also have congregants who want us to preach the false gospel of their political party. So my question is, how as pastors do we walk that line of not shirking from our responsibility to preach the truth on the one hand, while also not substituting the biblical gospel for a political one. And we'll just free-for-all with these, whoever wants to dive in first. I mean, I'm ready to go, and then Russ can curmudgeon me. Since, and then he gets to be the negative curmudgeon this way. So I'll claim that. So uh, partisan politics have no place in the pulpit, in my view. Uh, but you can't avoid politics in the pulpit, because politics essentially is the question of the good governance of a town or a city or a region. And so questions of justice and mercy are constantly going to arise. And to be silent on that, I think, you know, it's just about impossible. So just pick up on Tom, you know, schools, that's, that's of course, um, an issue of access to capital, educational capital in our country. Therefore, it's a justice issue. How do we address the relative inequity of the various school districts uh, from place to place? Protection of the weak is certainly a political issue. So I just talked actually yesterday to a young woman who is African-American and her uncle died in an inferior hospital because of what would have to be a case of gross negligence. And so, you know, we know that if you're poor, you get inferior health care, it's likely. That's a justice issue. Uh, on the other hand, um, you know, we protect the weak. Who's the weakest of the weak? And that is... You know, we, we are voice for the voiceless. Who has the, the least voice in the world? That's the unborn person in mother's womb. So who's going to protect that person? So those are all moral and civil issues. And to be silent on them is just about impossible. And you know, just to go back to COVID from, you know, other, it's another political issue. Um, you know, we, we don't want to politicize it. But the truth of the matter is the Bible addresses uh, background issues for it. For example... You know, the Bible has a, a, an ethic of caution. So, you know, if you have a bull that's in the habit of goring, you, you kill the bull so nobody dies. And if you, have a, you put up a new house, you put a parapet around the roof. And so nobody falls off and dies. And so that's the principle of caution biblically. And that means that we should be concerned to protect people from the effects of COVID. I don't know how many of you followed this but as pastors. Probably a number of you have bumped into people who have... Um, the neurological losses due to COVID. Uh, I've got 11 medical articles on my computer right now about um, uh, profound confusion, inability to work, inability to concentrate, neurological damage. You know, we lose our taste and our smell. That's neurological damage. But it's actually a sign of uh, oxygen deprivation, fluid in the brain, um, hyperactive immune response. You know, like, you know how you feel when you have the flu really badly? And so people feel that way. So there's, there's massive, in some cases, massive neurological loss for people who get COVID. Um, and so we have to protect people from that. Now, how we do it and how you dress in the church is a different question. But good governance is a biblical and political issue. Not, not partisan politics, but the good governance, the justice and mercy in the city. 
Tom or us? You guys want to weigh in on this? Well, so there's not much I can add to what Dan said, if anything. Uh, I think from a pragmatic standpoint, because you do have people who are going to challenge you to never speak, to always speak, take their political side or their party side in an issue, I, th I think you have to start off with a posture of listening uh, and really trying to understand what that particular person is concerned about or worried about uh, and, and where they see um, some failing on the part of the pulpit ministry. You're not speaking enough towards, you know, protection of the unborn or, you, you know, you ought to take this particular stand. And I find just, you know, instead of... As, as a younger man, entering into those kind of conversations very defensive and very ready to explain to them why they were wrong, I find if you just take time to listen to congregants, uh, even if you have to give them bad news, even if you have to say, you know, and I'm not going to go down that pathway, uh, I, either I don't believe that position is biblical or I believe it says more than what Scripture says, uh, giving them the dignity of having a conversation and listening to them will at least uh, keep things moving almost all the time, proverbially speaking, 89.6% of the time, right? Uh, Proverbs isn't always right. Uh, it, there are exceptions to the rule. Uh, you raise a child the way they should go, and sometimes they don't go the right way, right? But most of the time, uh, if we treat others with, you know, be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry, uh, it tends to uh, help people actually grow in their own thinking, of their particular position, and maybe even step back and examine it for themselves. That being said, I agree with everything Dan said as far as the practical matter of speaking to those issues from the pulpit. I couldn't agree with that more. That's good. Uh, Russ, do you want to jump in, or you want me to frame you up for? Sure. I'll, I'll, here's my curmudgeon take. Uh, so a lot of my, a lot of my post seminary education has revolved around 19th century America, and 19th century American homiletics in particular. And uh, if you look at the homiletics textbooks that have been published post-Civil War in the United States, dozens and dozens and dozens of them, it doesn't matter whether they come from a Congregationalist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist background, it doesn't matter at all, they all say exactly the same thing. Um, and they, they are incredibly cautious about engagement of politics from the pulpit in particular because each of the people who wrote these textbooks lived through the Civil War and they saw the carnage of the Civil War and they saw that prior to the Civil War pastors in the name of speaking to moral issues gave theological sanction to political opinions about slavery and so what ended up happening is they took a civil conflict and made a holy war out of it inadvertently doing so because they were trying to guide people in terms of morality and voting from the pulpit. And there's something powerful that happens when we, express, when we engage politics from the pulpit in particular that doesn't happen when we engage one-on-one -on -one, and it doesn't even happen in a Sunday school classroom. There is something about the preaching in a service of worship from a pulpit that gives theological and biblical sanction to political perspectives or opinions. Um, 
that is powerful and sometimes can be used for unholy purposes. So my own posture is to be extremely cautious about what I say and or engage with politics from the pulpit, uh, striving to do that work of equipping the saints for work, <clears throat> works of ministry, which certainly does include engaging them on how to think about things like justice and mercy and even how to think about what the purpose of government is in society. But I tend to be very, very cautious about uh, any, any kind of overt political statements or even things that, are, that bind a moral issue and a political issue together. I try to be very careful in staying on the moral side of it so that I don't give biblical or theological or pastoral sanction to a particular political viewpoint. That's good. Thank can, you. Can I just jump in and say we probably don't disagree as much as we might have sounded like. We've talked over this a little bit. Um, so I'll just say my vast preference when you're addressing things that are tightly connected between morals and politics is exactly as my brothers have said, to do it individually or in small groups. There's opportunity for feedback. Uh, what did you mean by that? Can I object to you that what you just said uh, scares me or offends me? Tell me why, etc. So I think you have to you have, as a pastor, you must address, but I, I think you keep particulars out of the pulpit as much as you possibly can without falling completely silent on issues of justice and caring for the poor and the weak. I'd love to make this personal and practical and maybe help some of us out uh, if we feel like we're alone and having screwed up. Um, could, you know, they say you learn the most from your mistakes. Um, can you share an example of a time when you feel like you did this poorly and what it taught you about the proper place of politics in the pulpit? And I did send them these questions in advance, so they just don't want to confess. They've had time to think. They just don't want to confess. I am extraordinarily cautious about bringing politics into the pulpit. And so I've made lots of errors. I, I don't think I've, if I've erred there, it's maybe not talking as much as perhaps I should. I mean, I have, you know, I have folks all the time, as any pastor would in their church, you know, say, hey, you know, what, what's your position on this? And are you going to talk about that from the pulpit? And my fallback always is, for the most part, I preach through passages of scripture. I don't just preach topical. Uh, I do topical occasionally, but most of the time I'm just preaching through passages. So, so I say when I get to that particular topic in that passage, I'll deal with it there. Uh, and for some people, that's not enough. And so they would say, well, that's, that's a big mistake. You should, you should pay more attention to that. But I do find it grounds me because I, I have political opinions too, and I'm not about to suggest that all my opinions are right. So going back to scripture, I think has, has been the, the most important way for me to approach the topics. I, I, I mean, maybe the closest, and I don't think it was a mistake, last year I said uh, from the pulpit, I agree with the statement, Black Lives Matter. And I unpacked why I believe that. And I said, I'm, I'm not affiliating this with the organization, but I believe that historically black Americans have been treated in an inferior way. I think the data is insurmountable shows that, and as we're talking about loving our neighbors as ourselves, how do we engage in that? Uh, and I, I imagine a few of my congregants thought that was a mistake. Um, so. Thanks, Tom. And we can expand this, too, and say not just from the pulpit, but if you've ever posted anything on social media or just even in private conversations, ways that you've dealt with this less than perfectly. No. 
I would say a, a mistake that I've made probably more than once because I can be slow on the uptake is not to give enough credit to generational differences in understanding and engaging with uh, po politics. Uh, one of the mistakes I think that I've made and, and I'm, I'm learning is that for the most part, and this has been my experience and maybe it hasn't been yours, and it's not, uh, understand this is a generalization. For the most part, when I have talked with uh, God's people who are uh, roughly 70 and older, I have found that, that they have a way of looking at politics that takes, um, that takes political affiliation and Christianity and American patriotism and blends them together in a way that I find to be very uncomfortable, but which they find to be like a soft slipper. And so asking, and I've asked from the pulpit before, my, my older congregants, to join me in doing the work of untangling biblical Christianity, Republican politics, and American patriotism. And what they hear is, you hate America. And so I've had to, to learn to be very careful in addressing and, and be very precise in what I'm asking them to do or not do, and affirm, I actually love our nation, I served our nation, etc. cetera, um, but that is a, that's a mistake that I've made. Uh, so um, the reason why I fell silent when you asked about mistakes is because I've made every possible mistake repeatedly. Um, so the biggest mistake is that I probably don't say often enough whenever these issues come up, um, Jesus is the savior, pol politics and political activity are not. Jesus is king, the president, the senator, the representative, the judge are not. So I just need to say that more than I do, so it's an error of omission. And I've been, um, so I, my biggest mistake is that I constantly think I'm at a, um, at a conversation after lunch in grad school. And so I just say what I think, and then people, you know, are just horrified. Because I'm just bold, they say, hey, push back if you don't like my idea. But no, you're a pastor, I can't push back. So um, too bold, not bold enough, um, not talking about Jesus enough, not preparing enough for the possible ways in which hot topics will be misread. Or, or just a statement of fact will be viewed as, you know, having a hidden agenda. So uh, the dumbest thing I ever posted on a social media, which was actually, it wasn't dumb, it was actually brilliant and correct, but it was foolish. So uh, I posted that the same number of people die of gunshot wounds and car accidents in a given year in America. That's a fact. It's right around 30,000 each. But, I mean, a number of people thought I wanted to blow up the Constitution and come take their guns away. And I, it's just a fact that as many people die every year. And I just thought it was an amazing fact. And so I shared it. And I got murdered <laughs> with a gun. <laughs> um, I, so just, you know, what I would really love to do is say, I, I wish I said more uh, that Jesus is King, uh, Jesus is Savior, and... Um, you know, Eric and I worked together at Central Press for a while. Um, you know, I regularly said things like, this is not a Republican church, this is not a Democratic church, um, this is not a partisan political church, Rush Limbaugh is not the 13th apostle, and I would say things like that, especially when Limbaugh became less popular, it was easier to say that. Um, but, I, you know, as much as I said it, I, I kind of think I, I wish I'd said it more.
at, so that people didn't take uh, political statements in a partisan way. Thank you. Uh, my next question is, just last week, Justin Taylor wrote an article for TGC entitled The Case Against Pro-Lifers Voting for Joe Biden, in which he quotes John Piper as saying, no endorsement of a single issue qualifies a person to hold public office. Being pro-life does not make a person a good politician, but there are numerous single issues that disqualify a person from public office. So my question is, Dan, you already touched on this a little. What are some of those issues that, as a pastor, you are willing to put your neck out and say to your congregation, as Christians, we cannot vote for a candidate who supports blank, or would you ever do that? And, and how do you do that, if so, in a pastorally sensitive way? I went last. It's your, your turn. Am I back up? I, th I don't know. It doesn't happen Man, to be that way. But we're we're kind of looking fun. at you, Tom. Um, so I, I rarely uh, say uh, to my congregation, you should or you must, uh, unless I'm quoting scripture directly. Uh, I, I speak quite a bit from my own personal experience. So I would say my conclusion as I study scripture is that I cannot vote for someone who would endorse late-term abortion, for example, right? Um, but I'm going to talk about that from my perspective if I'm going to mention it in a sermon. I would much rather have those conversations in a Sunday school classroom, in a small group, in a place where there can be conversation, where there can be give and take. Because on the one hand, you do have the power of, of the pulpit, so to speak, to make you know, direct statements. But then those statements are out there for people to use or misuse. And so... Uh, I would much rather have those conversations uh, in a smaller group or in a one-on-one -on -one setting. Uh, but I also love the fact that Jesus answered a lot of questions by asking questions. And so I try to do that. I, 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 last Sunday, I gave an example of a pastor who took a stand uh, when he was a very young pastor uh, in a, about a business situation in his community, and he had several elders that were involved in that business community, but he took a stand. But I, then I didn't say he did it right or wrong. I said, put yourself in his shoes. What would you do if you were that pastor in that church and that was the issue you were facing? And if, if we can get people to think, then I believe we can get people to think biblically. Mm -hmm. And then I believe we can get, let me, let me rephrase, because I am biblical and reformed, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> can create within people the word of God in their intellect that allows them to begin to think biblically, and we can be used by God to do that. So I would much rather say, you know, let's think about this together and pray that God would work in their mind than take a hard stand and say no Christian ever could or every Christian always should. Russ or Dan? Okay, I'll go. Um, so uh, this may sound like um, joking, but I'm not. Uh, I would never advocate um, voting for anybody who advocates or could be plausibly construed as implicitly advocating genocide. Um, so I'm looking at my buddy Mike, Michael Schust over here. And, uh, you know, he grew up in the communist situation. And that means he grew up in <clears throat> autocracy. And autocrats advocate genocide sometimes, sometimes overtly Hitler 
and sometimes covertly, and that's unfortunately way too frequent. Um, and the communists would weaponize that when it suited them and still do, the Uyghurs in China. Uh, and there are, you know, the elections may be false, but you can actually vote. So I would never allow that. You didn't, you know, you don't really asking about that. It's about uh, the issue of abortion. So I'm going to ask if possible you keep what I say in this room because I take an unusual position and people get um, a little bit upset with me. Sometimes. We are we are filming this, and I think <laughs> well, it's streaming. Let's, so let's talk about whether we have you know four minutes of blank tape or two minutes of blank tape. So <laughs> well, we're already going to be censored because you mentioned China, so we know it's not showing there. <laughs> yeah, we already knew that. I think um, so. Um, I am one of those folks that used to be um, opposed under, under all circumstances to voting for someone who is soft on the issue of abortion. But um, I have my little list here that I, I tried to verify. So uh, Souter, who was very much for women's reproductive rights, uh, was appointed by Bush. And Kennedy, who was very much for uh, women's reproductive rights, if you want to call it that, or pro-choice, uh, Reagan. And Sandra, Sandra Day O'Connor also never voted to re repeal Roe v. Wade. Reagan, um, so it's not quite clear where he's going to turn out, but John Roberts certainly hasn't done much. He was appointed by Bush. So we have four, four, uh, since the issue became hot, appointed by apparently, ardently pro-life presidents who didn't stand up for it. And to be honest with you, I'm totally disgusted. I'm so sick of Republican presidential candidates saying I'm pro-life and then appointing judges who don't take that position. So I think they've lost the right to be trusted. I hate to say it, but I think they've, so far as I'm concerned, I, I don't trust them anymore. And um, I believe that the real way forward is, is, is moral and spiritual. Uh, the abortion rate is 40% in New York City and about half of 1% in the Dakotas. The laws are the same in both, place, in both places. It's because of moral convictions. And so you can pass laws and the Supreme Court can do all it wants. Um, and you can say this is the issue to live and die on. But the truth of the matter is it's people's hearts and convictions. And I think one of the most powerful means of restraining abortion is the medical community where men and women of faith and character um, have created, gently, I think, a program on those who are providing abortions or perform abortions. And so it's, it's a scorned occupation. It's a scorned activity in huge swaths of our country. And therefore, nobody wants to go into it. And therefore, it withers away somewhat. Uh, in New York City, the mentality is completely different. And so the abortion rate in parts of New York City is 60%. So it's all about the heart and the mind and the work of, of the, the slow work of the gospel, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I probably answer by saying that there are a couple of convictions that, that guide me in, in talking about these things, and one of which is that our people live in a world that talks to them about our government, it talks to them about politics, it talks to them about the kingdoms of the world, uh, and they bathe in that six days and 23 hours out of every week, and then they come into the sanctuary. And I think that part of the responsibility of uh, crafting a worship service is that they are meeting with the triune God. And they are being pointed forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. They're, they're looking for, forward to and longing for a heavenly country. And uh, if I purposefully intrude, 
the kingdom in which they must live and through which they are sojourning for six days and 23 hours each week into that one hour, then in some sense I'm betraying the purpose of that one hour. So I tend to be cautious uh, about those things. But I also believe that there's an inverse relationship between uh, a pastor's, uh, people recognizing a pastor as a political authority and people recognizing a pastor as uh, spiritual authority. And I think that as the former increases, the latter declines. And so uh, part of, part of the, the way that I seek to approach these things, rather than saying, you shall vote for this, or you shall not vote for that, is to recognize what Dan said, and that is that people act out of their hearts. And what is the one way the human heart changes? Well, it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if I really want to impact the way people vote, uh, I, I think telling someone you shall vote for this person or you shall not vote for that person is apt to make me into a partisan and it's apt to raise their hackles. Preaching the gospel to people and applying it and seeing their hearts change, I think that's going to impact their voting in a way that me simply telling them who to vote for and what to vote about will not. It's helpful, thank you. Uh, just a quick follow-up on that one. So if we take it away from the pulpit for a minute and just say for you, just personally and, and maybe pastorally, if someone was to come to you in, in a one-on-one situation um, for, for counsel on how to vote, uh, do you think that Christians, are, are there other issues that should be on the same level and par as abortion that we factor in into, you know, obviously... Uh, there's any number of issues that are important, but um, Christians, a lot of evangelical Christians have historically, you know, um, been stereotyped and maybe rightfully so as single issue voters. Are there other issues that are on the same par as the abortion one for you as, as a pastor and in, how, in terms of how you might even counsel other believers? looking at me. Yes, there are other issues that are, that are absolutely important. The, the, the widow, the orphan, the alien, you know, the, the stranger, the, those who are, who are oppressed, uh, those are significant issues that uh, we ought to be very, uh, about which we ought to be very concerned. Um, the Worship of money is the end-all, be-all. You know, is is unbelievably destructive spiritually. Right? Jesus said it's next to impossible for a rich person to go to heaven. Well, he's talking to everybody in this room, right? The only way that changes is, as as my brothers here have said, is through the human heart. So I think there are issues that are uh, just as vital uh, as as abortion uh, in the Christian community, but where my challenge would lie in, and this is why my interest is much more about local than it is uh, on the grander scale, is where are you looking for the answer? So if we're looking for the, you know, if government's going to fix the problem of poverty in the United States, we probably would have figured that out by now. We, we've been at it for at least 60 years, if, if not more. Um, but where's the local church? So I want to talk to my people about what it means to follow Jesus in the Kirkwood community where there are people living below the poverty line. To me, that's absolutely as vital as talking to people about living in a city that, where there is legalized abortion. Both of those, I would say, carry the same weight. But where I want to take my people is where I believe we should 
go biblically is to the cross, which leads to the transforming power that these guys have both mentioned that does change us from the inside out and has the deeper impact. Thank you. Yeah, so um, I'll just pick up on the one theme that you mentioned, Tom, a couple times about local issues. So, you know, there are parts, as we, as we all know, there are parts of our country now where uh, religious freedom is hampered in various ways. It uh, doesn't seem to be the case in Missouri, but, you know, Virginia, some laws have been passed, and, you know, in California, it was pretty hard to worship for a while. I mean, you could gather for various purposes. I'm not going to get, you know, particular here, but you could gather for approved purposes, and church gatherings was not one of them. And, uh, you know, there are places where, obviously, um, Christian organizations are viewed as hate groups and, and intrinsically bigoted, and you have to push back against that, um, you know, in, with all the appropriate means. So, and of course, if there's a war threatening, you know, <laughs> no, we don't have any wars threatening right now, but, you know, though that's, that could be a very, very important issue. So there are a lot of issues um, that could take uh, very, very high rank. I do think that, um, you know, the taking of life is, is about as fundamental an issue as there is. Um, but I already, so I, I was almost a one-issue voter, um, but then I got tired of broken promises and started to think more about the heart and uh, the way in which politics and law follows the convictions of the people and decided that was the main thing to do. So it's, it's back to the gospel and the means of grace and making disciples. Thank you. Um, my last question for you all is, I'm sure we've all, as pastors, been disappointed by some of the conversations that we've witnessed our congregants having on social media uh, in this election cycle. How can we better shepherd our people to engage in political discourse in a distinctively Christian way? Russ, maybe we can start with you since you didn't get to weigh in on the last one. And your church uh, is so political. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think part of it, uh, it really does continue to come back to, to show them their hearts. And part of the reason for that is, is from where do a man's words proceed? They proceed from his heart. So if you can remind God's people that you speak out of the overflow of your heart and social media is an extension of speech, then your heart is on display every time you post something on Facebook. So you are an ambassador for Christ. What do you want that ambassadorship to look like on social media? Because you are sh you're just ripping open your chest and showing your heart every time you engage on Instagram or Facebook. And, and so I, I continually remind them of who they are and whose they are and the responsibility that brings in terms of uh, serving as witnesses and ambassadors for Christ. I have nothing to add to that. Uh, I, I agree with that. I have a, an example that has to do with the election that actually wasn't social media, but it's in the same vein. Um, a couple in our church, I'm wonderful friends with them, have known them. They've been at Green Tree almost from the beginning, uh, right when they were out of college, and now they're in their early 40s. And she's telling me about some new folks who have moved in across the street from them and how they're developing a relationship with them, that they're unchurched, that they're introducing the topic of, of Green Tree and the Lord Jesus, and they're you know, just making some very slow, steady headway, and people seem to be open. They're very, very politically liberal. My, these friends are very, very politically conservative. So I'm talking to her, and she's telling me this. So I've been praying for this couple. About two weeks later, 
her husband says to me, you know, these new people have moved in across the street. They put up a, a, a Biden sign. And not like just a little Biden sign. They put up like a pretty big Biden sign. He goes, you should see the Trump sign I've ordered. <laughs> that, was his, that was his take on it. And, and so I, I said, brother, it sounds to me, and I know him well enough to be able to say this, it sounds to me like, like you think that if your guy wins, that the world will be saved and the people across the street will actually be better off, and you're less concerned about their eternal well-being. And I'm pretty sure you ought not order that sign. If the first is your, or if the latter, their, their spiritual well-being is actually your paramount concern as a Christian. Now, we are very good friends. I can say that to him. A lot of people, I, I would have to very massage that very carefully. To, but with him, I could go straight to it. And he's like, I'll cancel that sign today. Right? So I, part of it is just, again, stopping and thinking. Part of it is saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, and that means what? So on social media, what does that mean? It means something. But if we, and so I'll say from the pulpit, do not attack people on social media. Do not go negative on social media. Show us a picture of the kitty cat you just got, and, or read what I say about the St. Louis Blues winning streak or losing streak, but don't, don't do more than that because you're going to lose your temper. You're going to, you're going to at some point, something's going to get under your skin, and you're going you're gonna to mess it up, and you can't take it back once it's out there. And so I, I will talk about social media from the, from the pulpit pretty directly, but again, I find the one-on-one -on -one conversations and just bringing it back to the gospel is, is really the most helpful. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Ask the Pastor. Remember that you can ask your questions each week at the info bar at West Hills or by submitting them online through our website at westhillsstl.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. And thanks for listening.